You are listening to the Kairos Des Moines podcast. Like I mentioned before, we are kicking off a new series, the first little bit of the new year, maybe the first month or so, um, because it's addressing this thing that we all seem to have in spades during the first part of this new year. During the first one to two months of almost every year, there's a whole lot of hope. Each year we hope that we'll be able to make the challenges, um, we'll be able to rise to the challenge that we set for ourselves to live more in accordance with who we believe we're made to be. Um, we, we set resolutions, we have quick, quick uh, thumbs up in the chat real quick if you're a resolutions person. I know I might have asked this before, but um, anybody is a resolution person? I've shared before that I am a resolution person. I love a fresh start. I love the idea of like uh, being able to just like kind of have a blank slate and do something new. But uh, we all have these hopes, even if you're not a resolution person. I saw no thumbs up, first of all, so get it together, Kairos. No, um, it's all good. Even if you're not all about the resolutions, even if that's not really your jam, we all have this hope at the beginning of the year that we'll be able to, to kind of do those goals, like achieve those hopes and dreams that we have that this year will finally be, uh, we'll be able to realize that dream or meet that goal or whatever that looks like for you. Uh, statistically speaking, the average uh, New Year's resolution lasts five to six weeks. And I actually read that and I was like, man, that's actually pretty impressive. I don't know if I've ever kept a, a resolution five to six weeks. I was going to give up gluten for like a month, but then I remembered the cookies existed. And thus, uh, my New Year's resolution start, lasted roughly 43 and a half seconds. But uh, this year, I sense a new element of or at least something just a little bit different. While there are the usual goals and such that we all make with the new year, we all hope that things will be a little bit better than last year. We hope that the giant overarching ache that this last year caused in so many of our lives will be at least a little bit better. And maybe I, it would be wrong for me, I think, not to speak on it a little bit. On a day like today, with violence and guns and unrest and screaming, with the events that went on at the Capitol today, maybe today kind of feels like the first day where your hope dwindles a little bit, only because it's like something that's pretty dramatic, and you're like, oh man, may, this seems like something that would happen in 2020. Maybe this year isn't going to be different. Maybe this is the first hint of maybe doubt in that New Year's hope that you have. So this series that we're having is called Hope for the New Year, and it's all about what it looks like in Scripture to come out of unspeakable brokenness and uh, kind of unforeseen circumstances, crazy situations, and then to have hope on the other side of it. That's what we're going to be talking about uh, how to have hope for our new year, despite whatever might come our way. Now, we're kicking off this series with one of my very favorite characters in all of Scripture, and that's the story of Moses. Actually, when I, one of my best friends, uh, Jenna, I mean, not Jenna T, but um, uh, this was Jenna D, actually. She was a seminary uh, friend that I had up in the Twin Cities. Uh, when I moved, she knows how much I love the story of Moses. And so I actually on my desk have a little scroll of Torah parchment that says Moshe Moshe, which means Moses, Moses, when uh, God calls Moses' name. 
and uses it twice. And I love this story so much. And you could do essentially this entire series about how to find hope in difficult circumstances. You could do the entire thing just on Moses' life alone because his story is one insane thing after the other. The life of Moses kind of makes 2020 feel a little bit more tame at least. So the highlights, the Sparknotes version, he was hidden in a basket on his birth and pushed down the river to avoid the mass murder of all baby boys around the time that he was born. He was adopted by royalty, even though he was born into the slave class of Israel. He was raised in the house of Pharaoh, only to realize his identity when he was an adult. He killed an Egyptian and then fleed to the countryside to get away from that entire life. Oh yeah, and then God tells him through a voice in a flaming bush to go back and liberate an entire race of people. You know, or as some people just call it, February. But no, like the weirdest, the weirdest thing that I did today was put oat milk in my coffee. Like that Moses has some pretty bizarre things happen in his life. And so what happens is he obeys, he does it, he goes back to Pharaoh, this person who's housing, like the lineage of Pharaoh, he grew up in that royalty, uh, and as a disgraced person goes back and tells Pharaoh to let his people Go. Um, you've all seen, uh, is it Prince of Egypt? Is that the, oh man, so good. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they haven't. Because that would come out like 98. Yeah, 98. Were they even born in that? You guys weren't even born in 98, were you? Uh, like, yeah, we were born in 98. Okay, well, see, here's the thing though. So there is a cartoon called The Prince of Egypt. It is a musical, and I think it's on Netflix. It's the story of Moses, I think, isn't it? No, because Joseph, King of Dreams is the other one. This is completely unimportant, but you should watch uh, Prince of Egypt. All I'm saying is this. He says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says the, the predictable thing, which is no thank you. Also, who are you? Uh, and how did you get in here? So that's what um, Pharaoh basically tells him to leave. And so uh, God helps a little bit with these plagues. The, there were these uh, natural occurrences, locusts and frogs and water turns into blood and it's just like some really pretty awful things uh, occur that would have made life very difficult not just for the egyptians but also for the slave class of people that he was trying to liberate these people were having to deal even if stuff didn't happen immediately to them uh th this would have made life difficult for everybody basically god is trying to force pharaoh's hand and pushing these people out um, even though their, their society was completely built on the work of these people of Israel. Eventually, the final straw was the death of all the firstborns in Egypt. Uh, that was the last plague, and it devastated Pharaoh so much for losing his own son, the ruler tells the Israelites finally to get out. That's where our story picks up. After all of that, which is most of the parts of the story that we all know when it comes to Pharaoh and comes to Moses and this whole story in Exodus, they're outside of Egypt now. They're wondering what's going to happen next. Things didn't turn out like that they thought that they would. They know that in the short future to come, they don't know what's going to happen. They know they're going to have to radically adjust their lives, and they have no idea what's in store in the days to come. They come up on the sea, and they're not sure what they're going to do. But there has to be some hope, right? They're thinking, well, at least I'm not back there. And that all sounds pretty familiar to us, I think. Uh, in a season where we say, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen. I know I'm going to have to make a lot of adjustments this year. I know I'm going to have to take things in stride. But whew, at least I'm not back there. 
And then this thing happens that I think has a lot to say for us this year. Feel free to flip in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. So, spoiler alert, second book of the Bible. Um, Genesis is first and then Exodus. So, feel free to look up Exodus chapter 14. You can also Google it. Uh, Exodus chapter 14. And also, if you're like... Where do I start? I want to read the Bible, but I'm not just going to start in page one. Uh, Exodus is actually a great book to read because it is pretty wild. So Exodus chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 10. Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. So Pharaoh changes his mind and goes after the Israelites after he lets them go. So verse 10 says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel, keep in mind they were out facing the water, they thought they had escaped, The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Just leave us here so we can serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve them than to die in the wilderness. Let's pause there. Hope can be a really fragile thing. A lot of times hope is paired with trepidation. A lot of times hope is paired with anxieties. Hope is paired with insecurities. And if one too many things go wrong, if that, if whatever your story is, if that one person says that one thing, if you hear that one song that reminds you of that one person, or if things are going well and then all of a sudden something happens to like trigger that memory, then all of a sudden we're back into that awful familiar feeling of, oh man, that's right, I had almost forgotten, but now that thing, whatever that is, that past, that decision, that, um, that circumstance, that mistake, whatever that is for you, those things can often haunt us. And all of a sudden, that fragile hope that we were clinging on to, whatever that thing is that just kind of breaks for us, all of a sudden we find ourselves in that old place of brokenness. And you might say to yourself, oh, I thought things were going to be different this time, but I guess they never are, we say to ourselves. Isn't it funny how a bad 15 seconds can ruin a perfectly good 23 hours, 59 minutes and 45 seconds? Isn't it funny how 15 seconds out of an entire day can categorize the entire day that God's given you? I know I certainly have experience with that. Um, I have this thing. Uh, we all have our different things, right? And um, I've, I've shared before in revived different places. I have this thing called, uh, I'll make sure I say it right, neurovascular cardiogenic syncope. And what that means is that uh, my blood pressure is wonky. Uh, and if I have anxiety or if I have uh, certain things that kind of trigger a panic response, I'm kind of like one of those fainting goats. Like if, you, if I get spooked, I just kind of fall over. And uh, I say that in jest, but it is kind of unfortunate. Uh, it's, it's not something that is always uh, something that I struggle with. But uh, back in high school, it was a problem because guess what? I was a, a music kid. I was like, this is how this is going to be my life. I was like, yes, I will be on stage forever. And uh, I'm going to get out of this town. All the things that people say in, in central Iowa. And so I love to sing. I love to do all these different, to perform, to act, to do all these different things. And then 
Um, I got a scholarship to go to uh, Drake University, go Bulldogs, and I was like ready to be a voice major and do all these different things. This is how I was gonna pay for school. And then all of a sudden, I started passing out during performances. Which, by the way, if you've ever woken up uh, on, after performing on stage and you wake up and your mom is just like right there, that is a nightmare in and of itself. Um, but um, God bless you, mom, not saying anything against you, but you know what I'm saying. That can be an embarrassing circumstance. So this happened and the problem was, is that I, I didn't quite know how to handle it because if I didn't have this thing, if I didn't have this performing, if I didn't have this, if I wasn't going to be able to use what I thought God had given me to do, what, why, what was I going to do? Who was I if I couldn't be on stage? Who was I if I couldn't do the things that I was passionate to do? And so things got better. Uh, I took some medicine, got healthier, did all these different things. And then in college, um, I remember uh, specifically one day uh, during a performance, I had to sit down and then leave during the middle of a song. Anyway, just the same thing. And I hadn't uh, dealt with it in a couple of years. And I remember this feeling. It was this terrible for me. It's this buzzing. It's like there's a light right over your head and your hands start to fall asleep. And there's this awful familiar feeling. And more than any of the physical elements of it, I just remember this feeling of, oh no, I thought I was past that. Oh no, I thought I thought I had gotten past that struggle in the past. And maybe you do not have neurovascular cardiogenic syncope, but we all know what it's like to all of a sudden have something rear its ugly head. We all have Egyptians that come over the hill from time to time. That story that I, that I, that I share from the Bible is that, that that verse that gets me is the Egyptians looked up and saw the, or I'm sorry, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians come over the hill. They saw uncertainty in front of them. They looked back and they saw that thing that they thought they were past. They had maybe a little bit of hope from the future, uh, paired with a whole bunch of uncertainty, and then that thing reared its head again. That thing that we swore was different. And often, what we do in response to this circumstance is do exactly what the Israelites did. We say, no, 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 send me back. Keep in mind, they're asking to go back to slavery after God miraculously delivered them after hundreds of years and generations of slavery. They say, send me back. And we do that same thing. They say, send me back. We go back to whatever that coping mechanism is. We go back to that bad relationship. We go back to that negative situation. And it's funny because we can say as much as we want. Like, since we know the rest of the story, we say, we're like, man, didn't the Israelites, like the Israelites saw like plagues that saved them from the most incredible circumstances. Didn't they know what God was doing for them? But we do it all the time. We often overlook the way that God's working in our lives. We're often the Israelites asking to go back into whatever form of slavery we often uh, put ourselves in as far as the Israelites go. We, look back, we go back to our old brokenness, ignoring that God has been working on us through unexpected circumstances. We want to go back. But thankfully, and you're like, Chris, this is a bummer. But thankfully, we have a God that responds um, to us 
just like in this story. So feel free to go back uh, right where we left off. Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. And Moses said to the people, they said, we should have, we should have gone back. It would be better for us to die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have to only be silent. And the interesting thing is, it's like that would be a really cool place to, <laughs> this would be a really cool place to stop. And be like, and then God smited everybody, and like God sticks up for the good guy, and like all these things. And then the funny thing is, the Lord then says to Moses in verse 15, Why do you cry to me? Tell people to go forward. Keep in mind, this, so spoiler alert for anybody who doesn't know the story, uh, Moses uh, with God splits the sea so that they can walk through the middle. Pretty insane thing to think about. But notice when God says, hey, guys, just walk forward. The sea has not been split yet. (laughs) The invitation for us is to walk forward into the sea. The invitation is to step forward into whatever is new for us. Because even amidst babies and baskets and burning bushes and plagues, God still wanted to do the unexpected. Even though they were coming out of that completely wild circumstance, God still wanted to do something new. Even amidst pandemics and racial unrest and political unrest and violence and natural disasters and uncertainty, God still wants to lead us out of whatever it happens to be that we're enslaved to. God wants to lead us out of that in ways that we can't even understand forward into a new day. And you might say, all right, well, that sounds great, but like, I'm, I don't need a sea to split. I don't need some miraculous form of like, I don't know, like some sort of physical miracle. I need something different. But here's the thing. The God that can split seas can mend relationships. The God that splits seas and, and sends plagues can, um, can heal brokenness between people, can... Um, heal addictions, can bring people together, can face whatever brokenness we we have in our lives. Our God is bigger than anything that they were facing in the Bible, certainly, as we see in our passage, but God is also bigger than whatever we're facing right now. God is still wanting to do something new to surprise us with the unspeakably good, even with the unspeakably bad in our rearview mirror. You see, uh, in the Bible, uh, early in, as we are, are here early in the text, water symbolized something interesting. You see, we look at water and we're like, oh yeah, baptism and like new life and you need water to survive, one of the things the body needs. Back in the day, water was actually a sign of uncertainty. Um, back in the very first uh, verse of the Bible, and we're actually going through uh, Genesis kind of these very first phrases in our sermon series in the weekend, so feel free to check that out. But uh, in the beginning of the Bible, it says that God hovered over the waters of the deep. And he talks about tohu vabohu, which is the greatest phrase in Hebrew. Uh, The world was tohu vabohu, which means is formless and void and with chaos. 
And it would have actually been scary back in the day because water was the symbolism for uncertainty. It was the symbolism for, for fear. And it was the symbolism for death. Because as far as they knew, the water just wanted to eat people. Uh, and um, they didn't know about the whole earth being round thing. And so basically you swam off into the ocean and you fell off the edge of the world. Uh, it was this symbol of uncertainty and terror. And everybody, these, these Hebrews that were being led across the sea that had been split, the, the Hebrews that were terrified and were asking to go back into slavery knew this story. So essentially what I don't want us to miss is that what God is saying, and everybody who's read this story with that background in mind, is God said, hey, do you see that uncertainty in front of you? Do you see that deep thing that's unquestionably scary that you can't see the bottom of? That the breath of life cannot exist when you're submerged in it? That thing that you don't know how you're going to get through, being chased by all the brokenness of your past? God says, keep moving. God says, I'm going to take care of you. And the people are probably like, how in the world are you going to do that? And God does something crazy like split the seas. What would it look like for you to identify, first of all, that thing that you always go back to? What is it? When, what's that thing? First of all, what seems to be chasing you? That's one thing. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't. With the, the, the Egyptians. What's that thing that always seems to be following you? That brokenness, that habit, that coping mechanism, that relationship, that tendency. Maybe it's, or, and when that thing rears its head, that situation, that memory, whatever it is, what do you go back to? Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a substance, maybe it's a pattern of negative self-talk. I know people who are horribly cruel to themselves because they think that it helps somehow. What would it look like to take care of yourself this year because you believe that you're worth it? Because God thinks that you're worth it? What would it look like for you to identify that thing? Now, even more importantly, one of my favorite authors once said, it's not really interesting what you're against. You know why the street preachers and people just screaming at people on the sidewalk? Like, that frustrates me as a pastor because I feel like it kind of gives us a bad name. But the thing that's frustrating about it is it's just not very interesting. I'm not interested what you're against. I want to know what you're for. So we might be all running from a lot of different things this year. But what are we running towards? We all have our coping mechanisms. We all have those things following us over the hill. So identify those things and notice them when they come up. But here's the final question. And this is the question for our groups tonight as well. What's something that you're running towards this year? I'm not asking people to reveal their greatest, deepest, darkest brokenness. No, no, no. Again, the more interesting thing is where is God leading you this new year? You don't have to, it, it can be as simple as, you know what? I'm going to just like be nicer to myself. I'm going to find a hobby. I'm going to take time uh, using the gifts that God's given me, even if that's just a hobby. I'm going to use what's in my hands in order to bless other people. I'm going to step into something new this year. I'm going to cut out negative self-talk. I'm going to try to love myself and others the way that God loves me. These are all different opportunities that we could all feel that in. And if you don't know, that's totally fine. But that would be something to consider this week. Because guess what? We worship a God that is constantly inviting us into something new. And yes, you. Somebody on here is thinking, yeah, that's nice for everyone else. I really mean it for you as well. What is God inviting you into? 
because it's something life-giving and good and gracious and leading you, you into who God made you to be. So may we all find that this week and may it lead us to bring God's kingdom here to our city. Amen. Before we break off into groups, let's, uh, let's, let's pray together. Lord God, we know that you are a God of life. You take symbols of darkness and brokenness like water back in the day. You reclaim it with things like baptism. God, thank you for your son Jesus as Jesus defeats all brokenness and death so that the only thing that is the final word is your good word about us. Lord, we thank you that no matter how hard we try, we can never mess it up bad enough that you won't love us. God, no matter what happens in our world, in our culture, in our political sphere, whatever that is in front of us, God, you're bigger than all of it. Help us to see everyone involved the way that you see. God, help us to see ourselves this year the way that you see us. Give us grace where we need it. Help us to hold our criticisms of ourselves and others loosely and instead fill our mouths with... uh, with words of kindness, with words of grace, with words of truth. We thank you, Jesus, for being so good to us. We love you very, very much. Keep us all safe and healthy. Bless these students. Help them to know how much they're loved by their church community. Help them to know how much we're praying for them. And I just pray that they would believe in themselves like we believe in them. It's in your good name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.